Morning, guys. At least it's morning for me. It's about 9.44 on a Wednesday. About an hour out of bed. I think I burnt my coffee and my hair is a mess. Which actually does bother me because I'm vain. And anyway, tried to do my normal time with God this morning. And I had it. And it was good. And one of the things that I'm kind of fixated on right now is that regardless of when you're listening, I've actually recently gotten this up online. Oh, starting to diverge. Okay, anyway. So when I was with God this morning, found myself thinking about Proverbs 24, 19 through 20. And if you revisit my intro, my purpose in doing this is really just to get my thoughts out there. Because I just kind of have to. I think and I talk. I love to think sometimes. Whether I like to or not, it happens. And I really love to talk. So I'm just sharing. Hopefully, it's helpful to you. All right, so Proverbs 24, 19 through 20. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future, and the lamp of the wicked will be put out. All right, a couple notes about Proverbs. Proverbs are meant to be sat with. They're really short statements. They make a punch. They're pithy, as it were. But we got to be really, really careful. It's They're really, really quick to read, and the vocabulary is not hard to understand. But to really grasp their point, you have to sit with them. All right, so one of the things, this always happens. I wonder if it happens to you. You start thinking about what you're going to say, and it's all amazing, and it flows in your head. And then when you actually go to say it, you're like, oh. That's where we are, so bear with me. So something that I wanted to say is... This actually, hard shift, took me over to the idea of philosophy. And I started thinking about that painting by Raphael called The School of Athens, where you see Aristotle and Plato in the very middle. And you have uh, Plato pointing upwards towards the sky, and Aristotle uh, with his hand, palm open, facing downwards towards the earth. And basically what it's showing is this uh, tension between what in Latin is called the Vita Contempliva or the Vita Activa. I'm kind of judging myself for pronouncing those Vs like Vs, but anyway. In other words, the contemplative life and the active life. And this has been a tense relationship throughout most of at least Western human history, especially in intellectual thought. You really see this in the Middle Ages within the church, which is better, a life of contemplation where you sit there and consider God and his mysteries and glories, or a life in the drudgery of active activity in the world. And something that I came to a while ago is that that's actually a false dichotomy. It's a bad question to ask which is better. Better question is which is appropriate right now. And I would also say that there's actually not a tension between the two but a relationship. It's not a matter of which one you should follow, Plato looking up or Aristotle looking down. It's not a matter of should you be the monk in the monastery, in his cell, praying and contemplating, or the farmer in the field doing his work in the dirt. It's not a matter of who has it better holistically all the time as a mode of life, Mary or Martha. The people on the ground shouldn't disdain the ivory tower, and the philosophers shouldn't look down upon the ditch diggers. Essentially, what I'm trying to get at is that 
we need to go to the ivory tower in order to better understand how to work in the dirt. We need at times to be like Martha and sit at the feet of Jesus and think and process so that we may better function as a Martha. Hope I got that right. Mary was at the feet of Jesus. Martha was the one serving. And so it is with Proverbs. Whenever we have a proverb, we need to sit with it for a second. And another thing we need to do is not necessarily make the mistake that every single proverb is for us at that given moment. So forgive me if this is a bit of a hard shift. An analogy I thought of is if you ever play like a first-person shooter on Xbox or PlayStation, and you've got all these different, assuming you've gotten far enough in a level, you've got all these different weapons that you can choose from. Now you hit a button, you point downward, and all of a sudden you go from the sniper rifle to the Uzi, and then to the crossbow, and then to the bazooka. You have all of these stored in your back pocket, as it were, but you only use the appropriate one for any given situation at a time. But the important thing is, is that you already have it for when you're faced either with, you know, one lone other sniper or a horde of zombies coming at you. So it is with Proverbs. Sit and consider them. Understand them. Don't force an application just yet, but when it becomes appropriate, you remember these, you call these to mind, which is something else we're commanded to do in Scripture. Call it to mind so that you can actually function in this world, on the ground, as it were, best and appropriately within any situation because you've taken the time to sit in the ivory tower. Revisit Psalm 27 for a good scriptural reference or something like that. The reason I chose uh, Proverbs 24, 19 through, uh, through 20, is because this is one of the ones that is particularly impactful. Sorry, microphone fell. Yep. Particularly impactful for me, given my own psychology, how my mind operates, and the various things that I struggle with down here in the world. And we're going to approach this using words. So fret not yourself because of evildoers. Okay, so I'm using the ESV. And that word fret is interesting, but I like going back to the original languages. So I don't know Hebrew, but thank God for Blue Letter Bible. It's got a dictionary app. And the Hebrew word there is to burn or be angry about. So don't be angry about evildoers. Well, what would you be angry about? Well, you could go over to Psalm 72, where the psalmist talks about being angry that evildoers seem to prosper. In other words, there seems to be no tangible benefit. Well, read the psalm. It continues on a little bit more. There seems to be no tangible benefit to actually following God. And not only that, but all the benefits that should come from following God, monetary success, stability within this world, general contentment or happiness with life, actually seem to be experienced by people who actively don't follow God, don't obey his precepts, ignore the fact that he exists. Don't fret yourself 
over evil. Don't be angry about them. What's interesting is that I went to the Latin, and the Latin actually translates it as, do not contend with the very bad. Contend? So I looked up that Latin word, and in this instance, in regards to other people, it can be this idea of striving with, competing with, or even comparing yourself with. Don't compare yourself. Don't strive with. Don't compete with those who pursue wickedness. I was hesitated there. I'll explain why in a bit. In other words, don't strive after the same thing. So they have what you perceive to be blessings. Don't pursue the blessings. I'm trying to make this not caricatured. Like the blessings would be things like personal stability, monetary stability, monetary success, a healthy family, a family at all, a wife or a husband, kids, should you so want it, not living paycheck to paycheck, general contentment with life. All these things that scripture says aren't supposed to be there for those who don't pursue God. And that's what we need to understand the wicked as. We need to be careful because at least in my own head, forgive me if I'm judging you. We have a tendency to, especially with these short statements, to caricaturize demographics. And it's actually an easy thing that politicians are really good at exploiting. You just create an umbrella demographic, and then you can paint with a broad brush some general traits of that demographic, and then start lumping people into it en masse. And next thing you have, you've got groups of people, large groups of people, at contention with each other, and they have no idea who each other really are. Because all we see is a broad, nebulously defined, or not defined at all, demographic. So that leaves us with who are the wicked. Well, we need to divorce ourselves a little bit from Elphaba and her little green self. We need to not see the cartoon caricature of the people sitting there, like, drumming their fingers together. He, he, he. These aren't necessarily mobsters or Captain Planet-type villains. The wicked are those who don't pursue life according to God's precepts. They may be decent people, actually. They may be nice people. Most of them are average people. The people around you and me in our daily lives. But they do not live their lives in accordance with or with some general consideration of how God instructs that the human being is to function, either logistically or mentally. And so, don't compete with them. Don't compare yourself with them. And don't be angry when it seems like they prosper. The other part of verse 19 is, where'd it go? Uh, be not envious of the wicked. Okay, so the Hebrew word for that, to be envious, do not envy or do not be jealous of, those are actually not the same thing, but they can be interrelated. It was interesting also that Jerome, when he translated this into Latin, he may have mistranslated it, but I still find his rendering interesting. 
says, "Do not emulate the wicked." Now, to emulate is this idea of striving to be like, which is interesting because that's actually what envy, to a certain extent, entails. If I envy someone, if I envy that they have a certain character trait, circumstance, or possession. I'm going to do one of two things. I'm either going to sit there in self-loathing, or I'm going to actively do things to be like the particular person that I envy, in order to develop the particular character trait that they have, manipulate so that I have a similar circumstance, or acquire the same or a similar possession, physical object, to that which they possess. I'm going to try and be like them. I'm going to emulate them. Because I am envious of them, and this proverb is saying, "Don't do that." Why? Well, the English says because they have no future. Really like how the Latin phrases it here. The Latin actually says because they have no hope for a future or no hope of a future. So here, I guess, is a good transition to go into. The people whom I particularly envy. I teach my students a lot with analogy, and forgive me if I'm self-centered enough. Most of the analogies I know well come from my own life. So, yeah, I'm reminded of another proverb. You know, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. And I'm hoping that this is it for most of you. Anyway, I think this is generally relatable, and if not in, in particular content, then hopefully you understand what it is that I'm getting at. When we sit in the ivory tower with these proverbs, what we have to do is we have to actually consider who is it that I envy that could be considered quote wicked. Now, given my personality, I am or historically have been wildly insecure, both in terms of My personality and my, let's say, physical attributes. So,、uh, the people whom, as I've gotten older, I would envy would be the stereotypical masculine male. In other words, the one who has self-confidence, the one who is athletic, the one who is aesthetically pleasing to behold, and the one who could get the girl. Zuh. So. As I've gotten older, growing up in the internet age, who is it that I came to envy? Well, male adult film stars, relatively aesthetically pleasing, lots of self-confidence, at least in a certain respect. There's an interesting guy that you need to look up. His name is Joshua Broom. He's a pastor up in the northern United States, and he actually used to be in this industry. His story is humbling and fascinating. And the reason why I bring that up is because, based upon his own testimony, he didn't. Feel good about himself for a lot of the time while he was in the industry, but to a certain extent, he, by his own admission, in one interview, he'd become really comfortable being exposed to a certain extent in front of the camera, and that's what I'm talking about. There's still a certain amount of self confidence in a certain way, as like showing it off. That is what I perceived to lack, and I therefore envied. And then there's also the. So then, yeah, aesthetically pleasing, self-confident can get the girl. Z. Part of the lie is that from the outside of the industry, it looks like a bunch of people are willing to be with them. 
So yeah, there that is. But they have no hope of a future. This is something I think that Mr. Broom also talks about, touches on. If you actually look at what it is that I'm striving for, I'm striving for what appears to be acceptance and validation. But it's always left empty and wanting because as far as I'm aware, most adult film stars don't actually have particularly healthy long-term relationships, if those at all. They become quite deadened to certain aspects of interpersonal relationships. Most of them, as far as I understand, this is total hypothesis, don't have children. And a lot of them reach a point to where they're past their prime. So this is interesting. You make your living off of your body, but what if when your body starts to wear out? And there are a couple that I can think of where I've seen productions from when they were in their 20s, and now they're in their 40s, and you can tell that they've aged. And you can, how are they still in the industry? So your body's going to give out. It's not going to be desirable anymore. And what are you going to have? Well, no real job prospects. A lot of job applications. Have you ever worked under any other name? Yes, I have. Here it is. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we're not going to hire you because we don't want the fallout if that actually ever becomes public and people start asking questions. Oh, okay. I've also spent most of my life not studying anything else. So I don't really have any skill sets. Anyway, I could diverge into all of that. But the point is, with a proverb, sit there. Ask yourself, who is it that I either do, or if you don't right now, consider who it is that you might be prone to envy. That's the idea of keeping it in your back pocket. Who is it that you're prone to envy? Who is it that, at least on the surface, lives life in such a way not in accordance with how God would have it lived? And doesn't seem to suffer any consequences because of it. Whose life seems to be just fine the way it is. Even thriving in certain ways that you desire yours to thrive. Identify that. Because then you're identifying a certain aspect of your own psychology, your own fallen brokenness, to use Christian terms. And there you actually have information to pray. Now you have something specific to take to God. Like the psalmist of Psalm 72. You can wail to God about why this seems this way. You can express your frustration. You can tell him that you don't really know what to do in light of it. You can ask him for specific helps regarding how to deal with your envy, how to go about life, moving forward, letting go of certain things, learning how to target certain things. This is approaching with boldness the throne of grace. To ask for help in time of need. And if you lack wisdom on how to move forward, he'll give it to you. All you have to do is ask. And ask sincerely. And he will give it to you. Alright, that's it. I hope that that has been helpful. If not, my bad. As always, shoot me an email at the email address. We'll continue talking. Alright, deuces.